Lake Hills Church, this is one of those days that as the pastor, I just get excited about when I know what God's gonna do. You know Bill Jones. He's been a part of our church now with his wife, Johnita, and their family for almost 20 years. He's spoken into the life of this church at crucial times in the life of our church. Bill is a past chairman of the Board of Regents at Texas A&M University. We love him anyway. And is a gifted communicator as a member of our church that speaks into our church on a regular basis. So I know that God's got something great for us today in and through Bill Jones. So I want to ask you if you will, stand to your feet and give an in-house welcome to one of our own, Bill Jones. Thank y'all. I, I didn't say this last service, but I want to say this. I, I really appreciate y'all's indulgence in letting Mac and Julie have a little time off, and Mac needs to really think about what's getting ready to happen as University of Texas comes into the SEC. <laughs> We're going to pray for him. But uh, y'all know that when Mac's gone, it's August, I'm subbing, we're going to watch movies. So. We're going to start with this clip before we jump into our study of Jacob to set our background. And I want to see if you can figure out who the character is in this movie or who's being portrayed and what the world situation is in this display. I'm uh, uh, telephoning about your uh, Navy ships. If you could loan us just uh, uh, 50 older destroyers, uh, yeah. or, or even 40 would do. Well, I, uh, I did ask around, but just not possible, I'm afraid. The Neutrality Act we signed last year has tied my hands. Just can't swing it. I tried. Uh, well, can I, uh, um, do I have your uh, permission? to send uh, an aircraft carrier to pick up the P-40 fighter planes we purchased from you. Mr. President. You've got me there again. New law preventing transshipment of military equipment. Yeah, but we paid for them. We, we paid for them with the money that we, that we borrowed from you. I'm so, so sorry, Winston. I need not impress upon you the trouble faced by the Western Hemisphere. Uh, without your support in some fashion... I know, I know. You are on my mind day and night. We are facing uh, the gravest odds. We could take your planes to about a mile from the Canadian border. Anything you could do at this time, uh, Franklin would be most welcome. Good night to you, Winston. It must be late there. In more ways than you could possibly know. Well, if you guessed Winston Churchill, you were right. But you may not know what the situation was during this phone call. 
Several years ago, I was serving on the Commission Parks and Wildlife, and we had a meeting in August around this time. And one of the members on the commission is a man of some financial means. And I said, so what did you do this summer? Expecting him to tell me about some safari trip that he had taken in Africa or whatnot. And he said, well, I actually just got back from filming a movie. I'm like, really? Tell me about it. He goes, well, I have several vintage World War II airplanes, and they're coming out with a movie next year called Dunkirk, and uh, they use my planes to film some of the events that happened there at Dunkirk. And one of the events was an RAF pilot, the Royal Air Force, had to land his plane on the beach because he ran out of fuel. He kept fighting the Germans, and rather than go back to refuel, he landed his plane on the beach. And I had to reenact that with one of my British fighting airplanes. And after he told me that, I realized that I wanted to be that man when I grew up. <laughs> this movie that you saw is actually called The Darkest Hour, but it is about the evacuation at Dunkirk where the British had 330,000 men trapped on the coast of Dunkirk, France. They had had a military blunder and French, Dutch, and mostly British troops were surrounded by the Germans and they were pushing them to the English Channel and they had no way to get off of that coastline and they were literally sitting ducks. And at this phone call, Winston Churchill had reached out to the President of the United States to ask for help in getting those men off of the coastline because he had one of two choices. He could either surrender to the Germans as they rolled across Europe or risk losing 330,000 soldiers, which of course would have been the end of the effort on their part. It was his darkest hour. He had other challenges that we all know and have read about, but this was his darkest hour. Jacob is faced with his darkest hour. As we study and finish up our studying called The Struggle, and we find Jacob's darkest hour with a backdrop, a, a backdrop similar to Winston Churchill of an observed reality. And his re observed reality was his brother Esau wanted to kill him. And we know that from chapter 27 because Esau said, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And we know Esau wanted to kill him because Jacob swindled him out of his inheritance and stole his blessing. In the last 20 years, Jacob has been in another country, hiding essentially from his brother. He's done very well. Jacob is somewhat conniving and scheming. We would call him a shrewd businessman today. He was very good at it. But of all of Jacob's faults, and I like the way the Lord uses um, men who are not perfect to accomplish his purpose. Of all of Jacob's faults, one thing that he was was obedient. And in chapter 31, God told him it's time to return to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob gathered up all of his animals. He was a man of some wealth, his entourage, his family. He had two wives, a bunch of sons, and they all loaded up to go back to his home. 
So he was obedient. And we also know that he exhausted all of his options. Because what he did is, on the way back, he realized, he remembered that Esau wanted to kill him. He thought that God had already got it set up. Because, well, clearly, God has changed Esau's heart. Clearly, God has taken some of the heat away from Esau's hate for me. So he sent messages to Esau and says, hey, go tell him I'm coming home. Come back and tell me what he says. So they went, and they came back, and they said, hey, Jacob, we got good news and we got bad news. What do you want first? He said, give me the bad news. He goes, your brother's going to kill you. I said, well, how do you know that? He goes, well, he said some really bad and nasty things about you. Uh, and then he gathered up 400 really hairy, tattooed, mean-looking guys, and he outfitted them with some really sharp swords, some bow and arrows, spears, all the latest military equipment. And uh, he's actually not going to wait until you get there. He's, he's coming. He's going to meet you in the desert. He's going to kill you out here. Well, what's the good news? In a day or two, it'll all be over. <laughs> now, we know Jacob was obedient because when he got this news, he didn't turn around and go back. He kept his compass pointed to where God told him he needed to go. But he did exercise all of his options. So he was a man of some wealth. And we know in chapter 32, at the beginning, he gathered up his animals and he got his cowboys and his wranglers together, and he says, look, I want you guys to go ahead of us, and you take this herd of sheep, and you go to my brother Esau, and when you meet him, you tell him that these are for him. They're a gift from me to him, and that I'm really, really sorry. And I want you to go in waves. Don't take them all at once. I want you, this group of cowboys and wranglers, to take the goats, and when y'all let them go ahead in front, and then the next wave of gifts comes along, when you meet him, you tell him it's from Jacob, and I'm really sorry. And then you cowboys take the cows, you let them go in front of you, and then you talk, when you get to him, you tell him, these are from his brother, and he's really sorry. And then I want the camels to go. I want all of this to come in waves so that my brother will know I'm really, really sorry for what I did. The problem is that he didn't know if this would work. He didn't have enough time to figure out if this would work. Do we ever sometimes feel like that God doesn't have a watch? That, that he doesn't set his watch according to ours? And, and in fact, he transcends time. Time means nothing to him. But Jacob was faced with an absolute time because tomorrow Esau and he are going to have a meeting. And he doesn't know whether Esau has changed his mind or his heart. All he knows is the last report he's got, he's got 400 guys and they're coming to kill him. So he is in his darkest hour. He's got an observed reality. He's being obedient. He's exercised all of his options. And we find him now in Genesis 32, 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. It was what I call dark 30 for him. It was dark 30. We get dark 30 sometimes. It might be a a health report from the doctor's office it says they found a malignancy. 
It might be your spouse coming in and saying, I'm just not sure if I love you anymore. It might be your business partner saying, if we don't get this financing, we're going to have to shut the doors and lay everybody off. It might be unfair treatment by a sports team or a coach that you can't seem to do anything about. It might be getting a grade that you know you didn't deserve. But it's dark 30. And when you get dark 30, there are a few elements that you need to understand. First of all, it's time to get alone with God. You notice that, that he sent all of his entourage across in front of him. Every one of them. Sometimes, sometimes, we need to remove the distractions of people, including family and spend some time alone with God. You know, the yoga instructors have taken over the, the term meditation, but meditation is a biblical term. If you look at Psalm 119, David talks extensively about meditation and how he meditates on God's love day and night. And for those of us who need a little more testosterone in our medication, meditation, let's call it wrestling with God. That's what's happening. There's going to be a wrestling match with God, but you got to be alone to do that. And the next thing you have to do is you have to be absent your stuff. Get away from your stuff. Jacob sent every one of his possessions across the stream in front of him. Everything that he owned. It was just him and God. Sometimes we need to get away from our stuff. We have a lot of stuff. And the first thing we need to get away from when we have our dark 30 moments are these things. Oh, okay, now he's, now he's preaching some blasphemy stuff. Where's Mac? When's Mac coming back? <laughs> Mac would never say that. Have you ever tried to step away from your cell phone for an hour? Don't look at it for an hour. Get a little anxious, don't you? How about two? Three? How about four? How about a whole day? <gasps> I'm hyperventilating even thinking about it. You see, when you go through dark 30, you got to have some alone time with God. And you got to get away from people and you got to get away from your stuff. There's about to be a wrestling match. And those things aren't allowed in the ring. The other thing that happens after we let go of all of our stuff and distractions, God can then deal with us. And then it's got to be after dark. It's got to be after dark. What does that mean? That means you can't see a path forward out of your situation. There is no assurance that the medication they're going to give you will work or the surgical procedure they go through will actually help you. You can't be sure about that. H have you noticed that it doesn't matter how minor the surgical procedure, it can just be a, a, a root canal or whatever. It's routine. But they always give you this form to sign that says, what I'm about to do may kill you. You ever notice that? You can't see the path forward. It's dark 30. You don't know whether your brother Esau still wants to kill you. But you know you have to be obedient to God and keep facing the fire. 
That's when God can deal with us. Maybe you've caught your child four times with drugs, and you know how this story ends if you don't get them to turn. Your marriage is on the rocks, and you know if nothing changes, it's over. It's dark 30. Now the match can begin. Genesis 32, 24. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. What does this mean? Who was the man? Well, the man was pre-incarnate Jesus. Anytime you see this in the Old Testament, it's pre-incarnate Jesus. Or if you see an angel from God in the Old Testament, that's pre-incarnate Jesus. So, but he showed up in the form of a man, and he wrestled with Jacob all night long. You ever lost a good night's sleep, tossing and turning? Your mind is turning? What's happening here? You're having a little wrestling match with God. And how does it go? Well, it's a test of your faith. You say, well, you know, God, I thought you said you had this. Well, what makes you think I don't have it? Well, because I checked and I sent the messengers over and they came back with the message that my brother was coming out to meet me in the desert to kill me. So clearly you don't have this yet. Well, how do you know I don't have this yet? Because I just checked. And I'm facing a reality that's real. I got 330,000 men sitting on the coast here and I can't figure out how to get them off. Are you there or not? Well, haven't I always been there in the past? Well, yeah, but what about now? Well, why do you think now is different than before? And this goes on all night long. A wrestling match with God. Now, when you have a wrestling match with God, you got to understand how the rules go. You have to understand how to wrestle with God. My oldest son, Cameron, has taken up the wrestling uh, technique called jujitsu. And there are several different wrestling techniques. There's Roman, Greco, and there's all these different kinds. And each one has their own set of rules. There are certain sets of holes that you can do. Last night, my, my oldest son had a tournament, and he actually won in his division of the tournament. There's a picture of Cameron uh, after his jiu-jitsu match, a tournament, where he won gold. It wasn't the Olympics, but he's getting there. Now, in any form of wrestling, one of the things that happens is if a person gets you in a particular hold and it cuts off your wind and you can't breathe, or they put your arm or your shoulder into a certain lock that you can't get out of, and if you don't stop it, they will dislocate your shoulder, dislocate your collarbone, you tap out. The referee jumps in, he stops the fight, and the other, the other person would have won. It's called tapping out. Well, let's look at the rules wrestling with God. When you wrestle with God, first thing you have to do is hang on. You have to hang on. Genesis 32, 25, and 26. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So when you're wrestling with God in dark 30, you got to hang on to your faith. You got to hang on to your faith. You got to hang on to the only thing that you have in that moment, and that's in the faith that He has got this. 
You don't get to tap out. It's not an option. Even if you can't breathe. Even if it hurts. Even if I lose a friendship. Even if I get unfollowed. Even if I lose a business or I lose money, you don't get to let go. Tapping out is not an option. The second thing you do is you get to hold God to his promise. You get to hold God to his promise. You see, when we wrestle with God, God wants us to win. I have three kids. When they were smaller, I can't do it now, but when they were smaller, I used to wrestle around with them. And, you know, we'd get on the floor and we'd wrestle around. And I'd make them think that they were throwing me around, you know, and kind of handling their business. Why? Because I wanted them to win. I wanted them to think they won. When we wrestle with God, he wants us to win. And what that means is we have to hold him to his promise. He's made promises to us. And he wants us to hold him to his promise. Now, what kind of promises has he made to us? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, he promises us the Holy Spirit to be with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he promises us that he would be our father. In Psalm 119, he promises us love and salvation and grace and sustainment. 2 Timothy, he promises us life. What's life? Life is the opposite of death. Well, what's death? Death is separation from God. Life doesn't mean that we're never going to die. Life means that we spend our life in a relationship with God. And that's a promise that he's made to us. In Hebrews chapter 4, he promises us rest. And in 2 Peter 3, he promises us a new heaven and a new earth. And in Joshua 21, it says that not one of all of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. So, so when we're wrestling with God, the first thing we do is we hold on and it doesn't matter what. And the second thing we do is we hold God to his promise. And if we hold God to his promise, we then get an honor. And the honor is a new name, Genesis 32, 28. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, God has a special mission for you. Your honor and your new name is tied to your mission. Jacob had a mission. Jacob had a promise from God. And the promise from God to Jacob was that he would be the father of great nations. And through him, great nations would, would prosper. And that his seed would fill the beaches like the sand on the beaches of the earth or like the stars in the sky. And so he gave him a new name, Israel. Y'all know what that is? That's from the Israeli National Anthem. Now, it would have been called the Jacobian National Anthem, except Jacob got a new name. It was called Israel. And do you recognize these names? Gad, Dan, 
Naphtali, Simeon, Judah, Benjamin. You know what those are? Those are Jacob's sons. They're his sons. And if you go to an old school Bible and go to the back where the maps are, those are the names of the nations of Israel. You see, Jacob held God to his promise. And God says, all right, Jacob, I'm going to give you a new name. Your new name is Israel. I know someone else got a new name. His name was Simon, son of John. Jesus gave him a new name and it was called Peter. He says, I'm going to give you a new name because you're a tough guy. You are a rock. And that's your new name because upon your name, I'm going to build my church. Now, we know that Peter didn't live up to his name during the night of Jesus' crucifixion, don't we? He sort of scattered away. He said, I don't even know the man. But he was given a makeup exam. When Jesus came back, he says, hey, you, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know I do, Lord, then feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, call him by his old name. Do you love me? Because, Lord, you know I do. He said, then you need to feed my lamb. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times. You know I do. Feed my flock. He had a new name. And he knew that one day he needed Lake Hills Church to be established in Austin, Texas and have an audience full of people who believe and he needed Peter to live up to his name. Do you have a new name? Is there anybody here who's gone through Dark 30? I know a woman who used to be named Elizabeth, but her new name is Survivor, because as she went through her cancer treatments, she would send out messages of, of her love for Christ that didn't matter what happened. She was never going to let go of her faith. I know uh, of, a, of a friend who, her name was Barbara, and she was going through cancer treatments, and we had lunch one day in Houston, and she did not look well at all. And she said, what I have, they don't really have a treatment for it. The doctor literally doesn't know how much longer I have to live. Everything we're trying is experimental. She said, but you know, I was reading in Luke that through him, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with him. And all I need is just a little time to get my affairs in order, get my kids squared away. She lived for another two or three years, got our affairs in order. So her new name was impossible. I have a friend whose name was Rebecca, but her new name is Fighter. She went through the dark days of a loss of a husband to suicide. And she fought through all of the fallout from that. I know somebody named Jim. His new name is Patient because he waits on the Lord. I know someone whose new name is Peacemaker because through any kind of turmoil of upheaval, they're always making peace with all around.
I know someone named Comforter. Because even when they're going through their tough times, they spend their time making sure everybody else is comfortable and taken care of. Now, if you don't have a new name, maybe you just haven't had your dark days yet. Maybe you've just lived a, a blessed life. And maybe the Lord has just shined his life of graciousness on you and you don't have dark days, but keep living. You just keep living. You will. And when you do, the question is, how are you going to fight? Anytime you have dark days, the good news is God always has a new day. You got to go through the valley to get to the mountaintop. Mountaintops are separated and mountain ranges are separated by valleys. And though you might go through the dark days of the valley, God always has a mountaintop for you. And as you're going through your dark days, you hang on because that means you've got a mountaintop coming. And let's look and see what God did for Jacob. Genesis 33, 1. And Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Probably had a cloud of dust behind them. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. Even in that moment, he didn't know what was going to happen. So he separated his families with the thought that, okay, if he starts killing us, maybe some of them will get away. And he went and he threw himself down at the feet of his brother Esau. And that was the first time he saw in chapter 33, verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What is our promise today? For those of us who are Christ followers, our promise is in Ephesians 3, 6, and it says, this mystery is that the gospel, the Gentiles, that's us, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And what does Christ Jesus promise us? If you go and look through an old school book of John and look at the red letters, Jesus tells us specifically what he promises. He promises us the Holy Spirit, a place in heaven, that if we ask, it will be given, that if we love him, he will love us back, and that he will reveal himself to us, that he will abide in us, that he will teach us, that he will give us peace, that we should have no fear, that we will bear fruit. He said he will give us his joy and that we will be his friend and that we are chosen. And he said he will give us courage because he has overcome the world. When we're going through our tough times, we get to hold him to this promise through our faith. Jacob had other challenges. This wasn't his last challenge. It was the most significant one. 
It was the one that God wanted him to remember because he broke his hip and for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. And every morning he got up, he had to stretch his hip. And that was a painful reminder of what God had done for him. When his son sold his youngest son into slavery, that hip was a reminder. God's got this. I don't know how he's got it. But he's got this. We have a calling. A mission, just like Jacob. And in this congregation, we should have a number of busted hips. We should have some testimonies. I don't care whether you're a lawyer practicing law or a lobby, engineer, accountant, student participating in sports, teacher, Uber driver, if you write code, whatever talents God has given you, he's given you a mission to go along with it. And at some point, there's going to come a challenge to you in your mission, in your calling, and you must be obedient. And it'll cost you. It'll cost you. Might even hurt a little bit. But we're to hold on to our faith. We don't tap out. Might even suffer for it. Might even lose a job, lose a client, cost a promotion. May even cost you relationships. But it'll be a painful reminder that the promise we get is worth it. You willing to hold on? Let's end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today fully understanding and appreciating the struggle that Jacob went through. Jacob, a good man, not a great man, but a good man. A man with faults who found his way into being an instrument for you. And in his darkest hour, in his dark 30, held on to your promise through his faith. Help us that we might follow that example. We know that you've given us promises. We, we know you've given us a promise as a body of believers. We've, you've given us a promise as a church, as a collective body, but we also know that you have given each and every one of us an individual promise tied to our mission, tied to our calling individually, each one. Help us to be obedient, to follow you, to trust you, and yes, even wrestle with you as we seek to do your will. Even in the dark of night when we can't see how it works out to put our faith and trust in you. 
And Father, there may be someone here or listening online that has not yet accepted your free gift of life, salvation. That they, they can't do the wrestling match because they haven't accepted the invitation yet. Touch their hearts so that they too can be a part of this body of believers, a family of faith, something to hang on to during the times of crisis, during the dark days. And it's just as easy as saying, okay, I, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's as easy as saying, I believe that he died for my sins and through his death and resurrection that all of my sins have been forgiven. And if you have placed that on someone's heart to make that prayer today, we ask that you do something for us here at Lake Hills with every head bowed, every heart praying. We ask that you do something physical to mark this day. If you made that prayer request for Jesus to come into your life, we ask that you raise your hand definitively and hold it up as a marker that yes, I'm in. I want this in my life. And we celebrate that here at Lake Hills that as you put your hand down, we put ours together and say, welcome home. Welcome to the family.